Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered for Super Wild Card Weekend. Giants versus Vikings, Dolphins versus Bills, Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott versus Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson versus Joe Burrow in an AFC North showdown. You can use our promo code Believe. 50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Hey, Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is NFL Monday for Wild Card Weekend. We've been giving you content all Wild Card Weekend. We've talked about the Los Angeles Chargers, a.k.a. the San Diego Chargers, blowing a 27-point lead. Didn't give a whole lot of analysis from that game. Just wanted to entertainment wrestler laugh at the Chargers for being the Chargers and for abandoning my hometown and Dean Spanos getting all of the karma he deserves from a cursed team in a cursed city. So you can get all of the Los Angeles Chargers laughter on Wired Up 130. You can get a Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins post game on Wired Up 131. We had an interesting conversation there. And you can get the other three games from Wild Card Weekend here on this show. We're going to talk about Baltimore and Cincinnati. The game that I designated as the don't watch game of the week. Take your take your break in between Wild Card Weekend. That was the game to take a halftime on. I guess it was kind of a post-game take-a-break. It was actually a pretty good game, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll also talk about Brock Purdy's San Francisco 49ers and uh, some interesting takeaways from that Seattle and San Francisco game because it was really interesting for a while. Uh, We'll get to that coming up in a little bit. First and foremost, let's talk about the New York Football Giants. And to talk about the New York Football Giants, we're going to play some Frank Sinatra to celebrate The Giants, the first playoff victory in 12 years. Start spreading the news, I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it, New York, New York, these vagabond shoes are longing to stray right through the very heart of it, New York. Ah, 
New Jersey, New Jersey. So, the New York football giants. Let's go back to uh, the game when they played against Baltimore, when uh, Baltimore had a good offense and Lamar Jackson was healthy. Baltimore was up 24 to 10 in that football game and what happened was or 20 to 10 in that game and what happened was interception leading to Giants touchdown fumble leading to Giants touchdown Ravens lose game that they should have won and had like a 95% win probability. At that point the Giants were either 5 and 1 or 6 and 1 and basically the Ravens were 3 and 2 and the way I described it is Baltimore should have been 5 and 1 and the Giants should have been 3 and 2 or 3 and 3 or whatever the number was at that point. Uh, and if that had been the case, if the Giants hadn't won those stupid one possession games, uh, they would have either been the 7th seed playing the 49ers in the NFC playoff or they would have been out of the playoff. But I don't want to hate. Um that was just where things stood on the New York Giants. And when I was asked to talk seriously about the bullshit New York Giants. And I don't say bullshit like in a negative connotation. I mean, the New York Giants were a bottom half defense and an average offense and were six and one. (laughs) Like that's just the definition of bullshit. They won a lot of one possession games and won a couple games like the Baltimore game. They should not have won. And then the rest of the season, the Giants were three and six well, three six and one. Apologies, they were three six and one the rest of the season. Their offense maintained a good number, but as offense was down across the league, it was a little fugazi situation with the New York Giants, uh, from what I understand with the statistics. Because remember, if you've been listening all year, you know that I have made it, and I've made the effort to maintain a healthy, healthier relationship with football. This season, this was my goal going into the year. 2020 was a really rough year for all of us, but myself threw way too much of my emotional stability into football. 2021 was breaking up those habits a little bit, and I wanted 2022 to be better. I wanted to strive for a healthier, happier life, and part of that meant not consuming so much football and really throwing myself into eight hours of content every football Sunday. So coming out of that, the Baltimore, uh, the New York Giants were a team that I just did not watch. I admit as much. If they showed up on the Red Zone channel, I watched them and I got enough to know that Saquon Barkley was back to being a thousand yard running back as he was before two consecutive years of injuries. Uh, Saquon Barkley did not get a contract extension after year three. Maybe he'll get one at the end of year four now. We'll see what happens. Or sorry, year five. Ultimately, we'll see what happens with Saquon. The fact the Giants didn't extend him after five seasons suggested they were ready to move on from Saquon Barkley and ready to move on from Daniel Jones. So the New York Giants did not watch him, except when they showed up on the Red Zone channel. That game they played against Washington on primetime, did not watch it. That game they played Monday Night Football against the Cowboys, did not watch it. That game they played Thursday Night Football, didn't watch it. Just avoided the Giants altogether. Did not watch a Giants football game. My entire knowledge of the New York Giants was based on statistics and based on data, of which I read a lot of. I watched the New York Giants play the Minnesota Vikings. And the New York Giants were actually kind of fun. It's kind of cool. The New York Giants, the team that we've been making fun of for seven seasons, the same way we make fun of the Broncos, the same way we make fun of the Bears, the same way we make fun of these putrid organizations. Uh, Dave Gettleman provided so much love and so much content for four years because he messed up literally every decision and every draft pick. He took Saquon Barkley over Josh Allen because the fan base booed 
Be- they bullied Ben McAdoo into getting fired because he was right about Geno Smith being better than Eli Manning. Never gave Geno Smith a chance, got Eli Manning his job back for two years, and the- they took Saquon Barkley with the second pick in the draft over Josh Allen, who was projected to be that pick if they had taken a quarterback. New York Giants took Saquon Barkley over Josh Allen. The next year, they took Daniel Jones with the sixth pick in the draft. Just not a great decision across the board. The following year, they took Andrew Thomas over Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills, who just made Pro Bowl this year for the Browns and might have made All-Pro, actually. Jedrick Wills and Mekhi Becton and Tristan Wirfs, they took Andrew Thomas. The next year, they took Kadarius Toney. Didn't work out great. And then this last year, they fired Gettleman, and they got two studs. They got Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, who happened to fall to 5-7 fall to and seven in the draft. Two guys who were projected to be, according to our friend Blake Jude, top four prospects in this draft class. They fell to the Giants at 5-7, and seven, pick a second pick that they got because they let the, the uh, Chicago Bears go up and get Justin Fields. So the New York Giants, who had done things bad for so long, end up getting to this year. They get two blue-chip prospects. They get Brian Dayball, and with some luck and some bullshit, they make the playoffs. And in that playoff game, they play a super fun football game. The New York Giants, at one point, Daniel Jones was 6-for-6 for 103 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. Daniel Jones finished the game with a 114 passer rating. And at the end of the game, he threw a lot of incompletions. So that number was higher for most of the game. Only Brock Purdy had a higher passer rating than Daniel Jones. That is a sentence that I can say in the NFL playoffs of 2023. That across a weekend that included Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Geno Smith, which is a funny sentence in and of itself, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert. Only Brock Purdy had a higher passer rating than Daniel Jones in the entire weekend. Their top four receivers, which I believe would have been Evan Ingram and Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard and someone else who's irrelevant, the Giants' top four receivers combined had fewer yards of offense than Jamar Chase. That's a real stat that happened last season. That team was actually pretty legit on offense, and I know that everyone was saying that there wasn't a lot of defense played in the Giants and Vikings game, like it was Swiss cheese on all fronts, and I understand the sentiments there, and I understand like both of these teams were not good defenses, and their strengths came on offense. I mean, the Vikings were a bottom eight defense this year, and the Giants were the worst rushing defense in the NFL, and uh, their passing defense wasn't all that much better, but at least they have Dexter Lawrence. The point being, like the Giants... The, the, there was not a whole lot of defense, but there also wasn't a whole lot of big plays. Like, the Slayton 47-yard catch was a big deal, obviously. But then I'm going through the, the touchdown drives in the game. It was Kirk Cousins' one-yard touchdown. Saquon had the big 28-yard run that if it had been 50, it probably would have looked different. But, it you know, he just basically carried it to the end zone untouched. Then it's 14-yard touchdown. Then it's 9-yard touchdown. Then it's, after that, Daniel Jones' four-yard touchdown. Then it's Kirk Cousins' three-yard touchdown. Then it's Saquon Barkley' two-yard touchdown to win the game. Like, it was just a, a whole lot of, like, slow drives down the field, not a whole lot of big plays. I mean, the Vikings' biggest play of the game was 28 yards to TJ Hawkinson. That was the biggest play of the entire game. And the Giants only had two plays 
that were longer than that one, and neither of them ended up in scores. So that was kind of, I mean, like the difference between 32 as a touchdown and 32 as moving the ball down the field, I mean, they could have done 32 in two plays or three plays, but it's not that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. But for a game that had so much offense and so many complaints about not great defense, there weren't a whole lot of big plays, which I thought was an interesting strategy because the the Giants and the Vikings made it a priority to control time of possession and not turn the ball over, which is great in a playoff game. It's just lots of teams have that strategy, and it doesn't always work. Go ask Buffalo about that one, and we talked about it yesterday on Wired Up. And so what was interesting is, like, the Giants were actually pretty fun on offense. Like, Hodge, uh, what is this, Hodgins ended up with over 100 yards. Uh, Saquon Barkley had five catches out of the backfield to go along with 53 yards. He had 100 yards of offense total. Daniel Jones, they were showing the the um, ad, the Amazon Web Service um, advanced numbers on the uh, broadcast for Sunday Night Football. Daniel Jones had the highest added value of any player on the Giants when he was running the football. He had 17 carries, 78 yards. It actually turned out really great to make Daniel Jones, your RB1, which by the way, Daniel Jones, congratulations. Like I said, my perspective, I said in week six of last year that the Daniel Jones, Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman experiment was over. Like just, I knew week six of last year, nothing left to do here, just clean house with all of them. And the Giants made the smart call, and I've been saying this all season, if you don't have a better option out there, just stick with what you have. There's no reason to just get rid of Daniel Jones to say you're going to get rid of Daniel Jones if the alternative is Tyrod Taylor, and that's not going to be a noticeable upgrade. Daniel Jones has been a fine quarterback this year. If they pay him anything more than the 20th highest paid quarterback in the NFL, they'll be making a mistake. But the New York Giants walking out of that game, like Daniel Jones had the highest passer rating of any quarterback and was running the ball more effectively than any player on the field. And the the, the numbers they showed on the postgame show back that up. So the New York Giants, led by Daniel Jones, dominated on offense in a playoff game. That's an amazing sentence to say. And granted, they had to get rid of Gettleman and Joe Judge to make it happen. It's amazing that they've gotten to this place. And again, I didn't watch the Giants all season. Backing up the statistics, they were a decent offensive team. Their strength was in running the ball. There were complaints about receivers. I didn't see problems with the receivers today. Daniel Jones threw 35 passes and had 300 yards. Trevor Lawrence leading that crazy comeback for the Jaguars had fewer yards of offense than Daniel Jones did. So it's really interesting to watch that play out. And Ultimately, the Giants got the win, and that's kind of interesting because, again, we made fun of the Giants for so long, and I loved the decision to draft Thibodeau and Neal because those were blue-chip prospects. Getting two of those guys totally changed their fortunes. It helped the what, getting Saquon Barkley back influx talent. I'm not going to pretend like this is a big, like, tide-turning victory for the Giants. It's not. The Giants are many, many moves away from getting to the class of the NFC, and if they were playing in the AFC, they would have gone up against Buffalo or Cincinnati in their first playoff game and probably would have gotten smoked by those good defenses who are playing, you know, Buffalo played the the, uh, the 
Dolphins essentially to 17 points when you really think about it because of three scores coming off turnovers. Essentially played the Dolphins to 17 points with a top five ranked defense. And the Bengals are playing the Ravens to 17 in the fourth quarter at the time of recording this. Like, but who cares? Like, the Giants won a playoff game. It was bullshit. Yeah, you know who else was bullshit? The Vikings. And they had to win the NFC North because someone had to win the NFC North. So congratulations, Giants. Your team was actually kind of cool this year. I I did not partake in it, and I don't regret the decision to do so. I'm glad that I got to consume your playoff game, and I'm glad that in that playoff game you put your best foot forward because I enjoyed watching Daniel Jones play football, and I will enjoy watching Daniel Jones play football next week against the Eagles unless Daniel Jones goes back to being regular Daniel Jones of the past four seasons. But you know what? He's being supported now. He's got a healthy Saquon and a good offensive line. When Saquon was healthy in 2019, they had the worst offensive line in the history of the NFL. And now they've got healthy Saquon and a good offensive line. So good for the New York Giants. He had to spend two top 10 picks to fix it. And Andrew Thomas could have been Jedrick Wills. But the point being, it turned out great for you guys. Now your running game is awesome. And not just uh, Saquon in the running game, Daniel Jones in the running game is awesome. So congratulations to the Giants. You put your best foot forward. You beat the Vikings in the most normal game of the entire weekend. And I congratulate you for getting that playoff victory. Because like I said, uh, we'll talk about the Vikings in a little bit when we do Kirk Cousins purgatory. But the Vikings could have lost to literally anyone and I would not have been surprised. And coming out of that game, having not watched the Giants for more than like four plays all season, I have to say the New York Giants deserve to win that football game. And if you take the names and the colors off the jersey, they played maybe the best game of the entire weekend other than Brock Purdy. And there's no shame in that because you know what the 49ers have? The greatest collection of talent any team has had in the last five to ten years in the NFL. The only comps are the Legion of Boom Seahawks and the Eagles of 2017. That's just an immense, ridiculous amount of talent on that 49ers team. The Giants don't have that, and they put up the second-best performance of any team in the entire weekend on offense. And speaking of those 49ers, let's get to talking about them and Brock Purdy and all of the bubble-busting that we talked about on Friday. And to do that, let's play our Jimmy Garoppolo parody song, which I guess has kind of just become a 49ers theme song. Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come and seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. 
Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. All right, San Francisco. All Friday, when I was getting ready for this uh, NFL weekend, I saw the Vegas odds. They said that uh, they were not only projecting the Seahawks to cover, they were projecting that the Seahawks would win. 96% of the bets were in on San Francisco minus 500. For San Francisco minus 500 to have broke even for Vegas, they would have had to have taken 83 percent of the bets somewhere between 80 and 83 percent of the bets on San Francisco so the house was leaning heavy on the 49ers to lose the game outright and for the littlest sliver of time they were looking pretty good because remember San Francisco jumped out to a 10 nothing lead and then all of a sudden it was 14 to 13 Seattle because Pete Carroll did the Mel Tucker thing of ripping a cigarette on the sidelines and calling the Kenneth Walker do cool shit plays where they ran Geno Smith lined up as a wide receiver, wildcat formation to Kenneth Walker. Then they put Kenneth Walker in motion and did a handoff to him. Remember remember all that? Pete Carroll calling the Kenneth Walker do cool shit plays in the playbook. And then on the next drive, after Geno Smith started the game 6-for-6 six for, six for 49 yards, they called DK Metcalf do cool shit play. And DK Metcalf somehow stutter-stepped and without picking up his feet, burned Charvarius Ward for a 50-yard touchdown. It was one of the most amazing things I've seen in a while. Just like stutter-stepping and then accelerating past Charvarius Ward. I couldn't believe it. DK Metcalf pulled that off. I would have expected it from like Tyler Lockett in motion. I did not expect DK Metcalf to add 5 miles per hour to his speed as he stutter steps at like the 30 yard line and then just burns past Charvarius Ward like the the Niners weren't expecting it I wasn't expecting it how the hell could you expect it when a guy looks like DK Metcalf and does that so anyways Pete Carroll calls the DK Metcalf do cool shit plays the Kenneth Walker do cool shit plays then right before the half Charvarius Ward hits Geno Smith shoulder to helmet when he's sliding so then they get a 56 yard field goal three bonus points for the Seahawks and they're winning 17-16 at halftime and you're looking up and you're like holy shit Vegas might have been right I mean the 49ers looked like they dominated Seattle the 49ers started the game outgaining Seattle 140 to 3 yards on the first two possessions of the game Seahawks possession 49ers possession Seahawks possession 49ers possession both teams possessed the ball twice 49ers 140 yards of offense Seattle 3 
and the 49ers were up 10 to 0. And despite that, the Seahawks were winning at halftime. And you're like, oh, Vegas understands something that we don't. And then the Seahawks came back. At the time, it was 23 to 17. And then Dre Greenlaw punches out the fumble for Geno Smith on third down. I don't think it was third and goal, but I think it was third down in the red zone when Dre Greenlaw punches the ball out. Because, like, at the very least, Seattle gets three points, which isn't great. It's 20 to 23. If you get a stop on defense, you are still in the game. You can score a touchdown and one big play. All of a sudden, you have the lead. So, like, if they kick a field goal, it's not ideal. You at least have three more possessions left in the game. When Geno fumbles that football and it's 23-17 to 17, and there's been no turnovers the entire game. Uh, San Francisco doesn't have a turnover. Seattle doesn't have a turnover as far as I remember. I know Seattle didn't have one. San Francisco might have had one that I'm forgetting about. But at this point, Seattle has not committed a turnover the entire game other than some punts because, again, the 49ers have the best defense in football. They're playing pretty great. So at this point, Seattle is... 23-17, fumbling the football back to San Francisco, and then San Francisco goes down and scores a touchdown. I think this was the um, the Jennings touchdown, if I remember correctly. Made it 31-17 to because then they went for two and got the two-point conversion. That was the moment that reminded me of that 2021 playoff game between Buffalo and Baltimore. And for those who don't remember, this was the pandemic season Buffalo played Baltimore in the divisional playoff. In the first half, all 16 of Buffalo's offensive plays were either passes or Josh Allen keepers. And every one of Baltimore's plays was a running play. The score was, I believe, 10-7. to Whatever it was, it was either three or four points. And Lamar Jackson threw a pick six to Teron Johnson in the end zone. I think it was 14 to 10 at that point. Buffalo was in the lead by four points. Lamar with the ball in that's inside the Buffalo 10 throws a pick six to Teron Johnson. And at that point, Buffalo went up two scores and you knew in that moment, there was no way that Baltimore was going to be able to come back in that game because the margins for error were just so small that they needed all the good breaks that they could get in order to win that football game or at the very least have it be a one possession game at the end and it felt exactly the same way because San Francisco is just so talented and to swing the game from hey if we take a sack we still get three points if we convert this or get a penalty, we get seven. To then immediately flip it to now we get zero, and within four minutes the Niners are taking that turnover and scoring a touchdown. To swing the game 10 to 14 points like that, it just felt like you, you can't overcome that when you're that much undermatched talent-wise. And while I don't think that 2021 Baltimore team was so unmatched talent-wise against, or that 2020 Buffalo Baltimore team was so unmatched against Buffalo, I do feel like when you go from we're about to score a touchdown to now we just gave up a pick six, that's a 14-point swing that's almost impossible to overcome. 
And when Seattle fumbled that ball against San Francisco, I felt like that was just too much to overcome. And then when it came to covering the point spread and getting Vegas their money, after that, Seattle just kind of imploded in the fourth quarter. And it was 43 to 20 something was the final score. Like they just kind of imploded at that point. And San Francisco kind of got to do their San Francisco thing, which is in the last six weeks, the number one offense and number one defense in the NFL, the most talented team in the sport and the team that I think is going to the Super Bowl. And when I saw all of those Vegas numbers saying that Seattle might lose, we heard me, you heard me talk about this on Friday. I was like, wait, but this team is super talented. Why is this the case? Why are the Vegas trends going this way? Is the Brock Purdy bubble about to burst? Is Brock Purdy going to be the reason why this fails? Because again, the bubble's going to burst at some point on Brock Purdy. The only difference is going to be whether or not San Francisco can win a championship out of it before it does. It's Nick Foles syndrome all over again. And Brock Purdy ended up having the highest passer rating of any quarterback in the entire league. And if they had lost that game, it would have been because Seattle just outplayed them, which seemed totally unthinkable, totally unthinkable when we started this broadcast back on Friday and are now continuing it with Seattle and San Francisco analysis on a Monday. Totally unthinkable that the the call cool sh- the Kenneth Walker do cool shit and DK Metcalf do cool shit plays and Geno Smith having an incredibly accurate game where he completes 80% of his passes for no turnovers incredible to think that that would be the game plan that would beat that San Francisco team and they were so close to executing it for four quarters it was only when Greenlaw punches the ball out and you swing the game 10 to 14 points that it seemed like all the things that were done perfectly by Seattle and the good breaks like Charverius Ward hitting Geno Smith on the slide that led to three points before the half, all of those little breaks and all of those things Seattle was doing right just ran out of steam right at the end. And the only comp I have for it is that Buffalo-Baltimore game back in the playoffs two years ago. So good on San Francisco. That was an awesome win. You're playing either Dallas or Tampa now, which... It's going to be fun because those are good defenses, and I wanted to watch San Francisco play a good defense, and I want to watch Philadelphia play a great defense. So it'll be really interesting to watch that play out. And by the way, as we're recording this right now, Cincinnati just got the strip of Baltimore and took it back to the house for seven points just in that moment. In that moment. What did I say? They're going to review it, obviously, but what did I say just a second ago? When Baltimore was down four points against the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs two years ago, right near the red zone, you had the Buffalo Bills punch the ball or get a pick six that ended up going the other way to totally change the tides of the game. And now Baltimore looks like they might have just had the exact same thing happen to them. Yep, that's a fumble. That's a fumble. It is a fumble. That's a tough break for you, Baltimore, because it just happened to you for a second playoff run in a row. Because remember, Baltimore missed the playoffs last year. The second playoff game in a row. Everything's going your way. You're, you're the less talented team without your star quarterback, and then you swing at 17 points. You are a half inch away from a, 17, from a, a 24-17 lead. Just swung the game 14 points. You're probably going to lose that football game. Damn, Baltimore. Damn, I can't believe they just messed that one up. Uh, what was I was literally just talking about that a second ago. 
literally the timing could not have been more perfect the timing could not have been more perfect we were just talking about the only comparison for such a moment was that playoff game and then you just had it happen again it just happened again to baltimore for the second playoff run in a row harbaugh was doing everything perfect they held the Bengals to 17 points justin tucker's really good at kicking field goals and then it just all fell apart you were so close. Just let Huntley push forward. Don't dive over the goal line. Oh no, what are you doing? Now you are you just swung the game 14 points. Instead of you being up 24-17, now you're down 24-17 and you're going to lose this game because the Bengals are more talented and fans are throwing popcorn and you're celebrating. Dang. That's kind of incredible. You just got it live on the show here. I know the show is not going to be released till Monday, but you just got it live on the program. We just watched in the middle of saying the only comparison I have to Geno getting stripped going in down six and then the 49ers immediately turning that into seven points was the Teron Johnson pick six in the playoff game in 2021. And it just happened again to Baltimore, the same team. Two years later, their first playoff game since Lamar threw the pick six to Teron Johnson in Buffalo on the road it just like it's a mirror image of itself the second playoff run in a row different quarterback obviously it's it's Tyler Huntley this time and Baltimore was still an underdog I think they were like six point underdogs in that game against Buffalo those years ago this was the Josh Allen almost won an MVP season in the pandemic like they were they were so close Baltimore you were so close and everything was going right for you you, you were executing on defense at such a high level. You were controlling time of possession. J.K. Dobbins had an awesome stretch for a touchdown, and now it's all gone. Now you're down 24-17. When you were about to go up 24-17, you did everything right, and now everything has gone wrong for the second playoff game in a row. As I was talking about the same exact thing happening to Geno Smith kind of around the same time of the game. I can't believe that just happened. You get live analysis here on the Take It Easy podcast. And you know what? The game's not over. That concludes our Baltimore and Cincinnati playoff coverage. And if you're listening to this and for some reason Baltimore came back to win, we'll talk about it with Morgan from Australia on Tuesday. There you go. Sam Hubbard's strip six for touchdown is the one play you should take away from Baltimore and Cincinnati because it's literally the exact same thing that happened in Baltimore's playoff game against Buffalo two years ago. God, it's so frustrating to be a Baltimore fan. Like, it's not, it's a charmed existence, but for it to happen the exact same way two years in a row, it seems like Baltimore fans have not been having fun since that 2019 season where they were literally unbeatable. Ever since Ryan Tannehill and the 28-point swing in that divisional playoff game three years ago, doesn't seem like Baltimore fans have been having a lot of fun. Even if they've had this incredibly fun offense half the time when Lamar's playing, does not seem like a very charmed existence for Baltimore. Anyways, that concludes our Baltimore Ravens and Cincinnati Bengals coverage for the evening. All right, everybody. Normally, the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award ends after week 18 of the regular season, or at least that's what I did last year, which was the first year that we started keeping track of this award. But here in 2023, 
all roads lead back to Kirk Cousins. And lo and behold, Kirk Cousins finds himself once again down by seven with no timeouts, two minutes to play, and needing to go the length of the field, 85 yards, in order to force overtime. Kirk Cousins' purgatory reigns supreme. At the end of the second year of keeping track of the statistic, because the reason we started was because my entire childhood, I rooted for the San Diego Chargers, and Phillip Rivers was always down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field. And then when Phillip Rivers retired, Kirk Cousins took the mantle. And I believe to start the 2021 season, Kirk Cousins spent every single game down six, no timeouts, one minute, uh, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field. And now that we are two years through this experiment, there have been 37 weeks of NFL football. Kirk Cousins has spent 12 games down seven, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field or some equivalent of that. And four teams who have played against Kirk Cousins have found themselves down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field. And this means, if I'm doing my mental math correctly, that in 40% of NFL football games over the last two seasons, the Minnesota Vikings have been down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field. Or teams playing the Minnesota Vikings have been down six with no with no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field. Kirk Cousins' purgatory reigns supreme 40% of the time it exists, and that is the existence that the Vikings have found themselves in. And so at the end of these two seasons, two seasons that will now finish with a combined record of 20 and 18. For the Minnesota or 20 and 17 for the Minnesota Vikings. At the end of this 20 and 17 run, the Minnesota Vikings lead back to Kirk Cousins Purgatory in a game that Kirk Cousins played fine. I don't want to pretend like Kirk Cousins was awful. Kirk Cousins played fine. But the road always leads back to down six. No down seven in this game. They they made it spicy with seven, but down seven, no timeouts, two minutes to play needing to go the length of the field, and in a Kirk Cousins masterclass, he checked down to TJ Hawkinson to lose the game to the New York football giants. At the end of the day, I had been saying to our various friends for uh, about eight weeks that when we got to wildcard weekend, literally anything could happen to the Vikings and I would not be surprised. Even losing to Taylor Heineke, which sounds stupid, even losing to Taylor Heineke, I would not have been surprised. If the Vikings had gone on a Super Bowl run, wouldn't have been surprised. If the Vikings had lost in the wild card to any team, I would not have been surprised. And Minnesota lost a wild card game to the New York Giants. Long live the DVOA statistical supremacy. They told you the Vikings were frauds. They were 10-0 in one possession games. If you take just the final results of Detroit game, Buffalo game, and the Colts game, at the point when the Vikings had their worst win probability, the odds of them winning all three of those games was 1 in 36,282. I hope I got that number right. 1 in 36,000 chance the Vikings win all of those games. And so congratulations to the goddamn Minnesota Vikings for losing 
to the Giants and the road of this crazy season always leading back to Kirk Cousins being down seven, two minutes to play, no timeouts, needing to go the length of the field, and checking down on fourth and eight to lose the game and end the season. All roads lead back to Kirk Cousins' purgatory. May Philip Rivers' legacy long reign, and may Kirk Cousins continue to spend the rest of his career down seven, no timeouts, two minutes to play, needing to go 85 yards. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. This week's Wired Up, we have two of them. We've got the Los Angeles Chargers losing after being up 27 to 0, and we've got Miami versus Buffalo breakdowns. All of that is available wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 